it's me, it's me, it's the D-O-double-G, the road dog, Jesse James, and by my side, as always, is that B-A-double-D-A-double crooked letter, badass, Billy Gunn, together we are the New Age Outlaws, and you're listening to the VOC Nation, and if you ain't down with that, he's got two words for you, suck it. VOC Nation provides live daily streaming shows where fans have the ability to interact with the hosts and guests by phone call, email, and Twitter. VOC Nation hosts include the legendary Ken Resnick, who you probably remember from the AWA and WWE, former WCW performer, the Maestro, Wes Briscoe, who you probably remember from Impact, Brady Hicks, who you remember from Pro Wrestling Illustrated, former WWE and TNA star Shelly Martinez, and former Philly radio personality Bruce Wirt. VOC Nation's two most popular shows are Wrestling with History, featuring Ken Resnick and Bruce Wirt, streaming live on Wednesday nights at 9.30 Eastern, and of course In the Room, featuring Pro Wrestling Illustrated's Brady Hicks and WCW alum The Maestro. And by the way, both of these shows take callers live during the show. What are you waiting for? Go listen live right now at VOCNation.com and subscribe to all of our podcasts by searching for VOC Nation Radio Network on your favorite podcast app. Oh, and follow them on Twitter, too, at VOC Nation. to the Stadium Journey Podcast. No, we're not going to Degrassi for those of you who have been watching the last 20 minutes of Blather. We're proud to be part of the VOC Nation Radio Network. If you can't get enough of the Stadium Journey Podcast after the show, head over to our website, stadiumjourney.com, the mothership, where you'll find over 2,500 stadium reviews, news items, and much, much more. And we're also on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Like and follow us everywhere. After you are thoroughly entertained by our podcast tonight, you might feel an urge to check out our old episodes. It's easy to do. Just type VOC Nation Radio Network into whatever podcast search app you use, or go to the Stadium Journey website, look under the podcast tab on the main menu. All of our old video podcasts are there, and they're also on our Stadium Journey YouTube channel. And some of you already know this because you're there watching live, but we stream live on twitch.tv by Law 83 and everybody who's watching us right now, don't be afraid to participate in the show. Uh, we also have a new Patreon page full of perks for our sponsors. Check out the list of rewards available. And if you give us enough money, we might even have you on the podcast. So let me take a minute before we get started and introduce our lineup. We've got Dave Cotney with us, as always. Follow him at ProFan9. Mark Viquez is here. You can find him at Ballpark Hunter. Our producer, the above-average comedian, Dan Calachico, is online at DanLaw83. And my name is Paul Baker. You can follow me at PuckmanRI. <laughs> and hey, a quick thanks to everyone who made our last episode with Nick Morocco from the Boston Cannons, our highest-rated episode ever. Woohoo! We have doubled our advertising rates because of that. <laughs> no, we haven't. When? Double zero, still zero, right? All right. Well, fair enough. Well, we're still waiting for that big sponsor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Joe Rogan money. I just want I just want a big Viagra sponsor one day. I just think Viagra's funny. Not if you really need it, I guess. I, it's you know, funny even if you need it. So <laughs> what do you do? It just won't go away. <laughs> what was what was that movie? Oh, the ladies' man. If an erection lasts longer than four hours, call more ladies. Uh, oh boy. Okay. So on to tonight's show. 
Oh boy. We are always thinking oh of topics for our podcast. So during one of our staff meetings, I came up with this really bright idea. At least I thought so. Let's take a place we're there. all familiar with and let's just analyze the hell out of it. You know, I was thinking of somewhere big like Camden Yards, PNC Park, you know, Notre Dame Stadium. Instead, Dave says, hey, let's do McCoy Stadium. So here we are. We're going to talk about McCoy Stadium tonight. I think Dave just wanted to see me cry. You got your Kleenex ready? I, oh, you it's won't there. see me I, I, cry. I have my Paw Sox hat, my Paw Sox jersey, complete with Ben Mondor Memorial button. Nice. Got my Paw Sox drink cup. So, yeah, we're ready. I got my Paw Sox hat, even though you don't want to that admit that it's really horrible. a Paw Sox hat. Horrible, horrible logo. As I said, it was just a plain P on, on my hat. Is that why you were no longer with the Paw Sox? You were responsible for he's, said logo? Yeah, I was, the, I was the marketing guru who came up with that. <laughs> no, they changed that long after I was gone. Um, they actually had a few logos. They started with just even – this is like the Boston Red Sox style P. They started with just like a plain one. Then they went to this. Then they introduced Paws when they redid the stadium in 2000, and he was kind of hugging the P, and then they moved to that powder blue monstrosity. Kind of hugging the P, yeah. huh? Yeah, it felt like every team in all the sports had a polar bear of some sort as a logo. It was like a phenomenon yeah. for a while. Yeah, with Paws. Like the Indianapolis Paws. Ice had one. Why? The Leafs. Leafs have one. Carlton the Bear. Oh, exactly. Sports teams they that have a one. polar bear logo at one point. The Ready Solar Bears or something. Solar, solar yeah, bears. the Orlando Solar Bears. Yeah, with paws, what paw, you know, they did yeah. paws for paw talk. It's kind of cool. Yeah. They Chesapeake Ice. Chesapeake. Chesapeake had one. Oh. It always comes back to Chesapeake with Kelly. Ad, Adirondack what? The frostbite. Adirondack frostbite. Oh, boy. Kelly's, uh, uh, and the, and Kelly's the, riding co-pilot. The good news is, and I got this from an inside source, Paws and socks are making their way up to Worcester oh, nice. because the new the new ballpark is going to be called Polar Park. So yeah, yep, yep. So, wait, so it's Polar not going to be called the Woo Sox? I'm confused. No, Woo Sox is the Worcester Red Sox is the name of the team. Uh, the Woo Sox for short, just like they did the Paw Sox from the uh, okay. Red Sox. Uh, I want to say some roller hockey team had a polar bear as a logo, but. Um, so I guess we settled on McCoy Stadium because Dave, you yeah. just finished reading one of you said one of the best books you've ever read. Yeah, it was uh it was it was pretty amazing. I, I remember um I sent you a text right away, like once I started, got you know, about thirty pages in and said, Hey, wait a second, you didn't tell me this was poetry. Uh just the just the way that uh Dan Barry writes it, it's just so it just flows. It's, if you think about how terrible <laughs> the whole experience was and you boil the book down to really what it is, it's at its most base level. It's really just a, where are they now? Mm-hmm. You know, there, there's a ton of where, but he, he just, he just uh, puts it in such a way that it's just, it just, it's just, it, it's magical. It's got that, it's got that field of dreams flavor to it. Right. And when I posted that, he said, thanks for reading. So. Nice. nice. <laughs> so I am going to try really hard to not monopolize this conversation because uh, for those of you who don't know me and my background, I'm, I grew up in Rhode Island. So the Paw Sox were the closest professional team to me. I've probably been there over the course of my lifetime, and this is not an exaggeration, probably been there about a thousand times. Um, 
I worked for the team for 12 years. Um, you know, it's been a big part That's of my like life. That's like 600 games right there. It's, mm. it's, uh, that was 840. <laughs> You're not counting, um, though. No. Well, no, <laughs> 72 times 12. So, it's, yeah, 40. Um, so, yeah, so I know McCoy Stadium backwards, forwards, inside and out. So, I can give a pretty cool perspective on it. I think, Dave, you've been there at least once. I've been there once, yep. Yeah, Mark, I know you've been there a couple of you, you did a fantastic yeah. video of McCoy Stadium. You've only been there once? I've only been there once. I think I drove by it uh, sometime in 1991, if I remember, uh, in the off season. But, yeah, it's just one time. Nice. Stephen Key and I, another writer with the uh, website, went there. He's actually been there twice. So he's got one up on me on that one. So I guess so a couple of reasons why we're, we're focusing on McCoy Stadium. You know, a trial run to maybe do this for other places. Um, Dave just read bottom of the 33rd, so McCoy is fresh on his mind. Um, the Paw Sox, as you all probably know, after being in Pawtucket, and it's spelled Pawtucket, but it said Pawtucket. So um, after 50 years in Rhode Island, are moving up the road, up Route 146, about 40 miles to the city of Worcester, Massachusetts, and the new Polar Park, which the taxpayers of Massachusetts are on the hook for, for a grand total of $130 million. It will, be the most expensive, it will be the most expensive facility ever built for a minor league team. Uh, just to backtrack for a second, Wu Bangers are apparently joints with cocaine in them. Oh, then I did not know that. A yeah, woo-banger. Well, I don't think we can call them that. Do, do they originate in Worcester? I would not be surprised. <laughs> I got you all in check. I, I, don't, I don't know, Paul, but <laughs> sorry. I was dealing with uh, major uh, techno technological uh, issues in the background, so I didn't read that fast enough. So I didn't mean to. I apologize. <laughs> I think they're fixed, so continue. All right, so uh, let's see. Let's talk about McCoy Stadium. It was built in, it started construction in 1937, part of the WPA. So you know you're talking about an old place when you're talking about the Works Progress Administration. Mm -hmm. um, built, you know, give uh, the citizens of Pawtucket uh, some, some jobs. And it took, it took a good three or four years to build. Um, I don't know if you remember this from the book. Mark, have you ever read uh, the book we're talking about, Bottom of the 33rd? No, I, I've seen the book because when I went to uh, McCoy, I mean, that was all over the place. The That's true. 33-inning game in the book. So I probably picked it up and skimmed through it, but no, I have not read it. There's one part where they do uh, – Dan Barry does get into the building of the stadium, mm -hmm. and what was pretty oh. funny about yeah. it is – I would like that. The part where the uh, – the place where they decided was a pond. It was called Hammond Pond. And so they, you know, dried it up, but it was still, it was more of a swamp than a pond per se. So they, you know, they kind of drained the swamp um, and tried to put pilings down to support the stadium. But what happened is the ground was so soft that it just kind of, everything they put in the ground sunk. So they drove in a, a you know, a batch of pilings to be the structure of the, the facility and they all sank. They put in another set of pilings, those sank. They put in a third one. The third one's finally held. I think they were standing on top of the first two. So they said it, uh, in the book, he said um, that it was like it, he, he Dan Barry refers to it as a, as a swamp quite often. Uh, and he said it was so bad that they 
they brought a truck out and then uh I, I think they they left it there kind of overnight came back and it was gone and they're positive that it sunk yeah, it didn't get stolen it sunk <laughs> how true that is i'm not really sure in fact they said one guy actually got injured sliding into second and he tore up his uh i guess they were it was really they were really cheap back then right oh we'll talk yeah that we'll talk about what it was like for a long time he yeah. he tore up his pants because they got caught on a hubcap, which they think was from from one of the vehicles that sunk in this pond in this swamp or whatever when they were building the when they were building the place. Yeah, you had a total price tag of this ballpark to build it. Um, the original plans it was going to be a fifteen thousand seat venue. It, it cut it back to about five thousand when they finished building it. It cost, and this is back in nineteen forty. It cost one point five million dollars. For a minor league ballpark in 1940, I don't know what that would be today. That's got to be it's quite like a bit for that Olympic time. Stadium kind of money. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and about as useful as Olympic Stadium too. But that's why at McCoy, the the bullpen, I mean the dugouts are not dug into the ground; they're yeah. at ground level because you couldn't dig right. down because just it'd be like bubbling crude or bubbling water coming up. So, yeah, that was that was the building of McCoy Stadium and. They did have a minor league team for a little while back in the 40s, the Pawtucket Slaters. I don't know what class they were in back then, but um, they played for a few years, and then they went away, and nobody moved in. It was really uh, just pretty empty. It was used for local stuff for the, through the 50s and 60s. Yeah, Dave. With, I, I don't remember if this was actually brought up or not, but – why was that why was that spot chosen for the ballpark like what what is it about that location that was the the location that the mayor chose mayor mccoy Ford. right mayor thomas mccoy yeah hence the name and Wait. it's rhode island so if you know anything about rhode island politics uh they they ain't honest never had <laughs> <No. laughs> there's what there were probably some other reasons why uh, why that spot was chosen. Cheap, cheap land. Yeah, it was. Yeah, it was a swamp. It wasn't even land. I think when they started. Um, the team. For those of you wondering why they would name a team the Slaters, the uh, Industrial Revolution started in Pawtucket. The first mill, the first water-powered mill, was built right a couple miles away from the McCoy Stadium, at Slater Mills on the uh, Blackstone River. So, the Industrial Revolution started in Pawtucket, and that was the last. Good thing that happened there, I guess. And that's, so even back then, there were na picking names that represented the region. So that's that's not a new phenomenon. Okay, and that's yeah. kind of a, a theme that runs through. Like uh, <clears throat> Dan Barry really uh, he he really gives you a sense of kind of Charleston, like the Charleston Chiefs in Slapshot, uh, like like Pawtucket is that kind of it's that kind of town, you know. Um, talking about the Red Sox and, 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 you know, the problems that they had and, and, you know, people didn't have enough money and it was, it was a really poor kind of place and the mills were closing and, and it, it really gave you a, you know, outside of all the, the hilarity and goofiness of Slapshot, it just gave you a sense of, of that town, that, that Charleston, Charleston Chiefs kind of town. Well, and that's really the kind of city Pawtucket is. I mean, it's, 
it's the next next town over from Providence. It's only about five miles away from Providence, um, and actually shareable from downtown Providence. I mean, um, but in terms of business and, and opportunity and stuff, it couldn't be further away. For for a long time, the only real companies holding up the city were Hasbro Toys and the Paw Sox. And guess what? They're both gone. So it's it's one of those places where uh, you know locals call it the bucket. So it's it's really not known as a place you would go. And the area around the ballpark to this day, I mean, all these years later, it's still like that. It, there's not, you know, all the rage is to have the live, work, play area the, or the restaurants or the attractions around surrounding the ballpark. And this was really what kind of doomed the team with the Paw Sox is there's nothing there. I mean, there's a Chinese restaurant across the street, the, the, the Me King. I'll tell you, it's been there since... Since I was a kid, I've never eaten there. I don't know if it's good, bad, or what. <laughs> I've been to McCoy all those times. I've never eaten there. There's a, a little bar next there that that used to be a, a bookie place. Uh, never been inside there. So, yeah, you don't stay in Pawtucket after the game. You head elsewhere. You head yeah. home. Well, Providence. Yeah, what I remember when I went there with Steven, we, we went to an afternoon game where the camp kids were at, which I hate, but – this actually was much, much not better than I expected. Uh, when we pulled up, we saw like little kids outside of their home selling lemonade for a dollar and uh, people saying, hey, park here, park in front of my home or park in this lot. So it was a little different experience than uh, what was Hartford the night before, which was in a city and you had a big open lot or even in Nashua where uh, it was once again, you know, an older ballpark. So, uh, you know, Pawtucket was uh, just one of those, it just felt like the old fashioned quintessential piece of Americana, uh, but very big. It's a huge stadium. Uh, you must have bought after the renovations. <laughs> well, I'm thinking, well, how many, about 10,000, 8,000? Yes, 10,021, 10, I believe, was the official capacity. Yeah, well, I mean, it, yeah, AAA standards, it's big. But I'm just thinking to myself, like, wow, they built this, you know, what, was it always that size like when they first built it, or was it no. much smaller? It okay. was much, no, much smaller. Um, grow, well, I'll, I'll get to that. I'll let Dave make his point. Okay. Well, I, I was just going to say, to to continue and give you a sense of what the what the town was like, and bottom of the 33rd was uh, 1981. Yeah. Is that right? That was Long yeah. That was when the uh, the legendary longest game took place. So at that time, um, and, and at, at that time they also had had Ben Mondor as as the owner who was the savior, and I'm sure you're you're gonna talk at length about him. Um, one one of the most humorous parts is is when he talks about these these kids who worked for who worked for the Paw Sox. And um, like the stadium was so bad, they didn't even have laundry facilities. Right. And and, and these kids would would take these laundry baskets full of of the uniforms from the players, hop on their bikes, and and bike four blocks to the nearest laundromat and do the team's laundry at a laundromat. Yep. <laughs> Oh yeah, the, the the ballpark back then didn't have a lot of amenities. It was really run on a shoestring. Now, who, what was the name of the guy who originally bought 
Latif, do you remember that, Dave? I can't recall oh, his shoot. name off the top of my head. I can't remember his name, but he had – he was uh, – he was a really uh, – like he was like a carnival guy almost. Like, yeah. Like, some of the, the kooky promotions that he Bo- ran. <laughs> like, Boozos or something like that? Boozos? Uh, yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll look it up and yeah. see if I can find it. But he would run like win a jalopy night. He'd bring in this, this piece of crap car, sell raffle tickets for it, and, and, and then, you know, somebody would win. <laughs> He'd be still stuck with his broken car because some 10-year-old kid would win. <laughs> His mom would be like, you're not taking that car. <laughs> or it wouldn't <laughs> run. You're not paying for a tow truck to get that car out of there. Yeah, uh, when yeah, when the team was bought, I think it, I think it was the Louisville franchise, if I'm not mistaken. Yes, I could be very, I could be the very wrong with, with that. And no, uh, they correct. moved it to Rhode Island in the AA Eastern League for the first couple of years. Uh, you know, some, some decent players came through there. This was the – Early to mid '70s, so you had Carlton Fisk played in Pawtucket. Uh, guys like uh, Cecil Cooper, Cecil Cooper, Ben Ogilvy. You know there was some. Fredlin. No, he was he was a little later. He was for AAA. Oh, okay, um, that's right. But the stadium itself, it was in this bad neighborhood. Uh, it's it's on one side, it's residential, and on the other side, it's industrial. So there's, like we were saying, there's nothing there to draw you to the area. Um, Pawtucket was. Back then in the 70s, very uh, crime-ridden. It was not known as a place you would go and stay. Uh, they struggled to gain fans. I think their average attendance was around 1,000 a game, if not less. Um, the ballpark, for those of you who only know the nice, new, remodeled McCoy <laughs> Stadium that they remodeled in the year 2000, um, you know the, how there's you've got the giant uh, seating bowl with the roof over the top of it. The part that is covered by the roof was the entire stadium. <laughs> wow. So you had sections 1 to 13, or 1 to 12, and that was it. It's still better than uh, Peanut Stadium. Um, uh, oh, yeah, that's, that's the worst. Yeah, the owner, uh, I think, was Marvin Adelson. Does that sound oh, that right? Sound right? That doesn't sound right at all. Uh, he lost... They were the New England Red Sox, and no, they were not. the team was revoked. Maybe that's just <laughs> the New England Red that, Sox. That was they came from Louisville. I'm almost positive that. And Mark confirmed it. Yeah, they were it. the Colonels. If Mark confirmed it, then yeah. Um, yeah, because they were without AAA until the, the Redbirds came in. Right. And I think Carlton Fisk played on that team as well. Oh, okay. Maybe it's this guy. Uh, where's it? Guess the owner. Can you guess the owner? Well, yeah, the ballpark was was just nothing to write home about. Uh, And then uh, in the mid seventies, the team was going to move because uh, I think actually the International League was going to take the team away from this guy who we can't who who shall remain nameless because we can't find it. Uh, Yeah, they were going to take the team and they were going to move it to uh, I don't know where they were planning to move it at that point. But, Joe uh, Boozes. Boozes. I was close. Joe Boozes, yeah. Um, <laughs> Where are they going to move it? Anywhere but Paul Tuckett. <laughs> uh, I don't I think back then it was Springfield. Oh. Ah, Springfield. Massachusetts? I, Springfield, Mass? I think so. Where the, where the F are you putting that in Springfield? 
Uh, well, you would have built this. McKenzie Stadium see, in Holyoke, probably. You, you see, back then, they would just build a couple grandstands and a press box, and boom, there's your, there's your ballpark. Yeah, you if, you've ever been, if you've ever been to New Britain and seen Beehive Field, New that's Britain. what were like back then. What stadium uh, did you mention, Paul? They would put McKen- it where? McKenzie Park. Where's that? In Holyoke. I was going to say, when- I've been – I've been to Holyoke many times. I know where that is. Very nice. Glens Falls, New York. No, it's not very nice at all. Of a makeshift yeah. stadium for a minor league team. Mark, Absolutely. let me let me correct you. No, it's not. <laughs> not very nice yeah, at all. Yeah, if, if you ever look at the ballparks built around there, like Thurman Munson Stadium in Canton. Yep. Or uh, what was the one? The, the original Harrisburg ballpark was an erector set. The one <laughs> Albany Heritage Park. erector set. That's Heritage like Field. That. In Albany Colony, and then of course Potomac. Potomac, that's that was terrible. Madison, wow. Wisconsin. Oh yeah, the whole bunch of them. Rockford, Illinois. Just a bunch of bleachers. Beloit, Beloit's still sitting on one of their. They've lasted this long with their stadium, and uh, they didn't build a new ballpark. They would have been out to, out of the Midwest League, replaced with somebody else. I don't know who, but. Whew. So yeah, yeah, different different era back then. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you oh, look at okay. the places built now, and you look at that. So, I got I got the lineage here. So this, so Joe Boozes, he was the kind of crazy guy. He had all the weird, yep. weird stuff going on, and there was this guy Marvin Adelson in between. I don't remember him. him. He had he had the team for two months, oh, and basic. <laughs> he renamed them the the New England Red Sox. They were going to move to Worcester, uh, but basically he he had like a John Spano deal where he had control of the team but never gave any money, so the team (laughs) or so the league took them back. (laughs) How does how does somebody do that? Like I still I've watched that thirty for thirty about Spanos ten times. I'm like nobody thought. Let's check this guy. You I mean, I could see it back then. It was a different day back then, yeah. Today. What, even, what years were these, uh, Mark? Uh, uh, we're looking Dave? at the 70s, Dan. Seven, late 70s. All right, 70s, maybe. The, okay, I'll give you the 70s. But when you get to the mid-90s, you're like, no, no, here. <laughs> but I, I also I, I also just finished uh, Bruce McNall's uh, autobiography. <laughs> Same thing. If a bank thinks you have money, they're going to give you more money. No and that's comment. basically what happened to Bruce McNall, like, he got loans based on rare coins that didn't exist that he didn't own, and they just kept giving him more money. Here, and then take it, more. Like I got from, this a, thing here. It's from awesome. a bank perspective, it gets to be kind of a slippery slope, right? Like if we cut this guy off, then you know, are we going to get anything back? Maybe if we give him some more money, we'll get we'll get some money back. So sounds like somebody else's finances we've all heard of. Not but 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 yeah, so that's that's how that those guy, work. Ben Mondor steps in. Yeah, uh, he was he was a guy from Woonsocket, which is a town actually halfway in between Providence and Worcester. Well, it's a city, little city, another industrial city. A French guy, a French Canadian guy, <coughs> and he bought the team. And you know, eventually he became the savior of Rhode Island baseball because without him, and without all the money he sank into that money pit of McCoy Stadium, they were gone. Wow. And I guess you can't talk about the Pawtucket Red Sox, without talking about the holy trinity of the team, the, that's their management team that was there really from day one. You had Ben Mondor who owned the team. 
and then you had his two lieutenants who were right there from day one. You had Mike Tamboro, who was a Worcester guy uh, who came in and he acted as the president general manager. And you had Lou Schweckheimer, who sadly just passed away about a month or so ago. And he, uh, he came in as a kid right out of college, right out of the UMass management school. And, and they, the three of them ran everything from soup to nuts back in the day. They did, they did it all. And uh, their efforts saved the team. And that's kind of the businessman that, that he was, that Mondor was, is he wanted that longevity, right? Like there's a, there's a part in the book where it says that he offered uh, John McNamara, no, John McNamara, what was the manager's name? Joe Morgan. Joe Morgan. Not, not uh, the Reds Joe Morgan, the other Joe Morgan. Walpole Joe. Kennedy's yeah. McNamara? <laughs> so he, he offered uh, Joe Morgan a, a lifetime contract, which – you know, he really, he really wanted, there was like a really close connection there, but uh, Joe Morgan said, you know, no, I'm like, I'm like these guys. I want to make it to the majors one day. And, uh, and he did, he did. Yep. Morgan's magic in the, in the late eighties, the 88 Red Sox. What a shot. No, not, not, not like these guys. No, no. He meant that he was like the players. He wanted to make the big leagues. Yep. Sure. Yeah. Wow. Um, but yeah, Ben Mondor's philosophy was make it family friendly and make it affordable. That was that was everything that that team was built on. And as somebody who worked for the team, I worked there through from 2000 to 2012, um, which is a good 20 plus years after what we're talking about. That was still everything we did was make it family friendly, make it affordable. And to this day, the Paw Sox are still the cheapest ticket in the International League. I doubt that's going to follow them to Worcester. No, no, those days are over. Yeah. <laughs> but the, yeah, the for older longest... the ballpark, yeah, the older the ballpark, that you get those uh, those cheap tickets. Once the new ballpark opens, bam, double. Maybe not double, but you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah. So the uh, yeah the Paw Sox slogged along, and you know they made roads and they became profitable. They weren't the laughing stock they were during the Boozers years. Actually, they did change the name one time, Dave. I don't know if the, what the timeline was you were talking about, but for one year, 1976, they called themselves the Rhode Island Red Sox. They tried because a lot of people from outside of the area are like, oh, yeah, the hell's Pawtucket. So they tried to call them the Rhode Island Red Sox, but it didn't stick. Yeah. And they were, like with anything, like they were horrible at that point, right? Yeah. Yeah, that was 76. The, the reason they ended up being known as the Paw Sox, it was kind of like a desperation move. When, the, when they started, when Mondor and Tamboro and Schweikheimer started, they didn't have uniforms. So they got a bunch of leftover uniforms yeah. from the Red Sox. And, of course, you know, they said Red Sox on them. So they ended up taking off part of it, and they just started to put Pawtucket. So they had P-A-W and S-O-X. So they ended up being the Paw Sox. I think I read a part two. Wow. And- Maybe That's I'm getting a little confused with, with all my books, but uh, they had ordered stuff and it just didn't come in on time. And Maybe that's I how think, they got those uniforms. Yeah, like they went to Sears and bought caps, like adjustable caps that you could find in, in Sears or whatever. Boston Red Sox caps, and that's what like that's what they started with. They very well may have. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if you look at. If you look at old footage and videos of that era, a lot of the teams were named after the parent club, just a different cap. But, you know, I always thought it was they were the Paw Sox because the Red Sox were the Bow Sox, 
the Chicago White Sox or the Chai Sox, and the Paw Sox sounded well. It makes sense. It, sound, natural, it sounds right. Yeah. Yeah, it sounds right. But you're saying that's because they took off the red and they put P A W. Yeah. Oh. Okay. Wow. Did not. Although did not I do that. have a game used Paw Sox jersey. It's not this one. I'm wearing the the road version. Um, yeah. And it just says, it looks identical to the Boston uniform. But that was from the 2000s when they were lowest level. Uh, but yeah, looking back, going back to the, the stadium, um, Pawtucket was known, you know, it was this little piece of garbage, dirty, dark, dank place. Uh, <laughs> as a kid going there and having to go urinate in the giant troughs was never fun. But it was known for the entrance ramps. So if you can envision what the ballpark yeah. was like. Um, you know, they have this giant entry tower that they built in 2000. But before then, the way into the stadium were these giant ramps that were on the outside of the seating bowl. And they started putting murals up. Um, they had this local artist come in and paint players who made it from Pawtucket up to Boston. And eventually, those murals that were right on the wall made it all the way up the ramps. And so from the outside, you could see all these paintings of famous alumni. And it, I think that's really about when the time when they really started. But then 1981, baseball's on strike. Was it a strike or a lockout in 81? I think it was a strike. Strike. Um, yeah, the Rochester Red Wings came to town in a cold April morning. And the Paw Sox were an unknown commodity no more, right? Yeah, it's uh, – well, it's a, like, like that game was just a comedy of errors, right? And if you step back and think about it and you're like, wait, wait a second, how would – how would they even be allowed to play that late? And I know, I know, I know. Everything just sort of had to fall into place. Here's the line score. <laughs> <laughs> How about this? Before we How would you like to be the guy in the 21st inning, the bottom of the 21st? Who the hell yep. tied that up? <laughs> I know who tied that up. That was Wade Boggs. And they, the, uh, the interview he does – He's on he, – like, he hits a double to tie it up. He's on second. He looks and, – and Wade Boggs is, like, crazy, right? He was, he, he was known for knowing his batting average at all times. So he's looking in the dugout like, hey, man, I'm this big hero. I just tied the game. And everybody is so mad at him. It's like, this is the 21st inning. What did you do that for? <laughs> so yeah, yeah. To set the scene, uh, this game started on a Saturday night, April eighteenth, nineteen eighty-one. Uh, it was supposed to start at seven thirty, seven or seven thirty, but all the outfield lights wouldn't work. <laughs> so they had, so they had a delay while they tried to get all the lights to work. It was probably about it's April in Rhode Island. It's probably about forty degrees. At so time. we're starting in a negative. It was it was Easter Saturday. Yeah. So probably no more than a thousand people there. At the yeah, beginning. I think I think the starting attendance was like about nineteen hundred. Wow, that's surprising. Because I worked a lot of April games, and we never had nineteen hundred. Let me tell you. Uh, yeah, and the wind is blowing in hard from center field. I know in the the book that you're referencing, Dave, uh, they're talking about the players had the giant fifty-five gallon metal buckets. And right from the beginning of the game, they're putting broken bats in there and lighting fires and try, just yep. doing anything they can to keep warm. Um, the, yeah. One of the players, one of the players was, uh, the wind. Yeah. one of the players was was doling out baseballs to local kids through the fence. 
to go and so that they would go and run and find anything that they could burn. And like kids were coming back with, with pieces of fence and they're whatnot. <laughs> the guys the guys in the duck are like, wait a second, is this some somebody's fence? Somebody <laughs> woke apart. up the next morning, their fence is gone. <laughs> hey, I just want to shout out Dennis uh Dennis Michael, uh Huggy Bear. What's going on? I'm glad you're feeling better. That's all. Thank you. All right. Yeah, so uh, yeah, that's that's the situation with the game. It starts late because the lights don't work. Um, it's it's freezing cold. The wind's blowing like crazy. That you know the kind of cold April wind that just goes right through you all night. And they're trying to play baseball, and because the wind's so so bad, nobody can hit anything. So this one nothing game, Rochester's up one nothing. They got to run in the top of the seventh, going to the bottom of the ninth. The Tucket somehow ties it up. Chico Walker hits a double mm-hmm. to tie it up. <laughs> So they go in and trudge along into extra innings. So probably about 11 o'clock or so at this point. So no big deal. But then nobody scores. Yeah. <laughs> and nobody scores and nobody scores. Uh, and what happened, I think there was a rule, and I, I may not have this right, but that there was supposed to be no innings that could start after 1 a.m. Yeah. I, the, the rule was supposedly in the International League rules – that no inning would start after 12.50. Right. And but somehow the rule just disappeared out of the rule it book. It was not in the umpire's <laughs> rule book that he had on him. So they kept playing. He kept playing and kept playing. Yeah, the umpire was a real old school, hardcore guy. And he was like, nope, it's not the rules. We still play. And, and meanwhile, I think uh, like Ben Mondor is frantically – trying to get in touch with the International League president, uh, Cooper, Harold Cooper, yep. who lives in Columbus. And for some reason, he's not answering his phone. You know, no cell phones back then in, in 1981. So he's trying to call his house, and he was out or something, or, and he couldn't get through, couldn't get his calling all night. And finally, Cooper answers his phone, like, at 3 o'clock in the morning. It's like, what? What? What are you guys doing? Still playing. Call the game. Yeah, the, the wife, uh, his wife answered at, like, one uh one o'clock or something like that or one thirty, and you know he wasn't home <laughs> he was somewhere else uh-huh, uh-huh. and then and they're like listen we're still playing baseball you gotta get him to call as soon as he gets home but why so why did the umpires just say that's it it's over because it didn't say the rule that rule in the rule I book was missing i don't so care they, so they're, I'm, they're I'm going, going by the book it's not in the book my book says my wife's gonna kill me unless i get home good night Great well, story about one of the players, Dan. Oh, yeah, Dad, yeah, yeah. I'm listening. You have, but my it could have they could have ended it earlier. Like the weather played such a huge, uh, such a huge role because there was one specific incident where a guy just tagged it, like really clubbed it, and you know everybody thought it was gone. And nope, the wind just the wind just blew it right back. You know. What was really interesting that I never would have thought, there was a dude from Rochester who pitched 10 innings. Oh, if you look at the box score, like, there's a 33-inning game. Both teams used five pitchers, six pitchers. Can you imagine today what would happen? You'd you'd need, uh, yeah, you'd need 17 pitchers for 33 innings. (laughs) But but that story, I thought Dave was going to go into it, but I will do it. One One of the Pawtucket pitchers, um, they sent him home, and correct me if I get details of this wrong, Dave. Um, yeah. He was – they sent him home at like 2 a.m. or something because 
they had another game at one o'clock on Easter Sunday. Yeah. They had to play again. <laughs> so they're like, we need you tomorrow. Go home, get some rest. So he tried to go home and it's 2 a.m. or so, maybe even a little later. And his wife wouldn't let him in the apartment. His wife thought he was out carousing and drinking. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, the, the wife was a, La- it yeah. was a Latino guy. So, uh, yeah, the wife says, nope, there's no way you were out playing baseball. <laughs> get lost. So he ended up going back to the game. <laughs> <laughs> that, that is my favorite story. And, yeah, it, it, the, the book was awesome because it really it tracked down the people who stayed and stayed. I mean, if you talk to Rhode Islanders now, there was probably, you know, 100,000 people who say they were at that game. Yeah, but but like Dave said, it was like nineteen hundred at the beginning, and at the end, was it twenty? Nineteen, nineteen people. And that's something I asked all you guys: how long? How long would you stay at a game? Would you stay through thirty-two innings in the cold? Would you stay till three thirty in the morning? No. Would your wife? Would your wife pull uh, (laughs) that Boss Sox player? (laughs) Would she not let you in the house if you did that? Well, the uh, there was one kid there. I want to say he was one of the umpire's kids and, and oh, he got tired. Nephew, he got tired, went and slept in the car, uh, turned the lights on or turn the heat the on game, or something. Yeah. The car was dead. <laughs> but yeah, yeah so- uh, it, it just think about like some of these people involved. I mean, they, he follows this one, this one dad and, and kid, and they had made a pact. I guess they had left early from a previous game. And, and something and missed something out incredible something. happened, yeah. Some, yeah, so they made a pact. They're never leaving early again. <laughs> and this was like the first game where this pact was in place. <laughs> and then I guess the kid, you know, a couple of times, can't we go home? The dad's like, no, we're never leaving early again. <laughs> I guess but it like depends that- on your locale, like – if I'm putting this on a major league level and it's Philadelphia, I got places to go after the game's over. If it's a 17 hour game or if it's an eight hour game or if it's a two hour game, where, where the hell am I going? After <laughs> like, yeah, you're not, not stepping over to the bar on Easter Sunday morning. I'm not going to celebrate pizza after uh, the, the, uh, the Paw Sox game. Yeah. I'm just thinking if it, yeah, I'm thinking if it's me and I have like two hours to drive back home or someplace else, <laughs> you know. Could, but... could you imagine stumbling into the house at 4 a.m.? Hey, honey, where were you all night? Was that the game? Oh, we have proof. We, oh, we yeah, have, now we you can just yeah. punch it up on the phone or whatever. But yeah. <laughs> yeah. Back yeah. then. Oh. But, but, but sleep like, at the ballpark. The Bat Boys, you know, like – 12-year-old kids they were or bad whatever. boys, yeah. They and, were like 12, and, 13 year old. and the mom is <laughs> driving to the park going, what the hell's going on? I want my kid home now. <laughs> and I, yeah, I think I remember it was reading, Tam Burrow yeah. that had to talk mommy down. And yeah. got to work. Like the umpire's family were calling local hospitals because he didn't yeah. show back up. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, so when the game started, it was April. And finally uh, – Cooper calls Pawtucket and says, call it. And they stop the game at like 3.30 in the morning after 32 innings. Yeah. So they look at the schedule. They're not playing it the next day. <laughs> so the next time Rochester is in town is June. June. So they reschedule it for when Rochester comes back in June. And in the meantime, Major League Baseball goes on strike. 
So there's no other baseball to pay attention to. And everybody hones in on McCoy Stadium in June. So you're telling me after all that, they didn't even fi- they didn't even finish the game. <laughs> no, it was one Not to one night. 32 innings. Oh, well, and, man. And okay. that's where it really, it really tugs at you because, you know, you got this, this small town, you know, hard luck stadium and this, this, now this, this huge event and, and they're getting national attention, right? Like everybody's on good morning America and, and, you know, there's, there's media there from England and from Japan and Japan, everywhere. Yeah. And they play one more inning. Yeah. Go to it resume so the day. so anticlimactic. McCoy Stadium, which holds about 40, I think it was 4,200 at the time, is bursting. There's temporary bleaches. There's hundreds and hundreds of media from all over the world. There's television networks. The Paw Sox win it. Three batters into the bottom of the 33rd. The whole thing lasted 18 minutes, I think they said. Yeah. So Matt just said you guys have to look up 10 cent beer night. Oh, yeah. Oh, that's Cleveland, Cleveland. 1974. Yep. That's infamous with Disco Demolition as well. But. Oh. Oh. Yeah. Look that up. There's videos of, of their, you know, looking back documentary. I don't think there's any game footage, but there are some photos and maybe some. I think uh, Disco News. Demolition Night was a double hitter, if I remember correctly. That was. Yeah, yeah it was they, in between yeah. the two games. They and canceled they had the, fourth the second game. And yes. uh, Ten Cent Beer Night ended up as a forfeiture because uh, the Empire said enough of this. There's, you know, they like crazy drunk Clevelanders were all running on the field. And, you know, yeah, there were like 60,000 people at that game. Yeah, and there was a backstory to that too. Texas and Cleveland were had a little bit of a fight or a brawl the series yeah, before right. in Arlington. Yeah, yeah. So both fascinating stories, but much different than this game played at Pawtucket, which you know was played by the rules, no forfeit, no ten cent beer night, no disco no, no, records fair. being blown up. <laughs> well, and and I think you could get a ticket back then for like three bucks. Ah, the good old days. And the ending, like, there were guys pitching in that last inning who weren't even on the roster. Yep. Yeah, that's that's the fun part. And there's and it was just so, you know, it's it was so hard luck. Like, Pawtucket didn't have a radio crew, and it wasn't on television. Um, the the there was a radio crew from Rochester, which broadcast the whole game, and. It was made up of the general manager and a player who was injured. Like that's who was broadcasting the game. And the and the general manager for the Red Wings ended up getting fired like a week later. That was his punishment. They sent him on the road. Go do the radio. <laughs> You're yeah, in he was like he was he was almost done, but he ended up getting fired. Like he he ended up uh he did that last inning, and I wanna say he did it for like the Orioles or or a station in Baltimore or something like that because the Red Wings were Baltimore's uh, farm team because Cal Ripken was on that team. Mm-hmm. Um, and and Boy, yeah, it was like, yeah, was like just a bizarre story. And and like they were they were 
calling back to the producer back in Rochester, you know, saying, you know, hey, uh, you know, call uh, call Wally, the producer, back at the home and, and let him know if you're listening because they had no idea if anybody was actually listening. But people were coming home from Rochester. You know, you got the diehards that just, you know, they just can't leave. But people were coming home from work, you know, working the late shift and, and coming out, coming home from the bar and they turn it on and they just can't turn it off. And, and a, a, a surprising number of people were actually listening in Rochester. But in Pawtucket, nobody was listening. It was on the radio. <laughs> That's, that was the kind of team the Paw Sox were back then. It's funny because now they're known as the pipeline to get to the major leagues for announcers. You've got at least six announcers in the major leagues that started in Pawtucket. Wow. You got Jeff Levering in uh, Milwaukee, uh, Cohen in San Francisco, um, Don Arcillo in San Diego. Um, I can't. Dan Horde, who's uh, Cincinnati Bengals. Jeez, who else? I can't think of everybody right now. Um, yeah, there's a there's a bunch of them. Uh, yeah, the whole the whole organization was known as the model at that point because this was the beginning of it for them. They became the model franchise for all of minor league baseball. Everybody tried to copy what what the Paw Sox were doing, but it was really because of Mondor, Tamboro, and Schweckheimer. They really set the tone. Uh, going back to the the 33 inning game for a second. Now think about this: some of the guys in that game they went like 0 for 13. One for 14. That game ends in June, and all of a sudden, your batting average dips 40 points. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. Um, let me see. Who was it? There was a guy. Uh, the Tampa Bay broadcaster came through Pawtucket as well, Fleming. Um, so, yeah. Um, the, one, the one guy, Graham, he went one for 14. Larrabee went zero for 11. <laughs> Uh, Wasn't he the guy who drove in the tying run with a sack fly? And he's like, hey, you want 0 for 11? He said, yeah, but I tied the game up. Uh, not for he... Pawtucket because Wade Boggs tied the game. Oh, no. no. That was in the 21st. He tied the he – he, yeah, he might have done it in the ninth. Yeah, Larrabee did it in the ninth. So, yeah, the Paw Sox are trucking along, doing well. But then in the, the late 90s, International League says, hey, guys – your stadium's a shithole. Oops, sorry. Your stadium is garbage. We need to, it needs to be upgraded or, or you got to move the team. So guess who, guess where they were going to go back in uh, 99, 2000? They were going to Worcester. I was going to say Kansas City. Everybody thinks to go to Kansas City. They're going to Worcester. But Ben Mondor steps in, this is my team, and redoes the stadium on his, on his dime. The state owns the stadium, but he paid for it. That's why that's why Mondor is so beloved here. Um, they and they turned it from you know a five thousand seat pile of garbage into a very for the time very modern <laughs> to a ten thousand seat pile of garbage. No, I'm no, kidding. it was I'm, you know at I'm the time kidding. it was really really nice. They put in the entry tower, they put in new sections. They made they didn't make a three hundred and sixty wraparound, but almost they put in a nice berm in the outfield. I'm kidding. And it became a model for the time. Now compare it to the ballparks that were built in like, you know, 2010 and on, it doesn't compare. But at the time, it was a fantastic, fantastic uh, place to catch a game. I remember that I went to the first game after they rebuilt it, of course. That shouldn't be a surprise. And uh, my buddy Ben and I decided. Shocking. All right, let's, let's check out this place. Let's find the best place. 
So we found the patio in left field right next to the foul pole, parked ourselves there. And now at the time, we knew every bartender at McCoy Stadium. And that's how I got hired. I know all the bartenders. Um, so, you know, we pay for a beer, we get a free one. Pay for a beer, get a free one. But, you know, it's the, the first game at the new ballpark. So all the camera, all the local news stations are there. And so they see us in this fantastic spot. And everybody keeps, hey, you guys got the best spot. You mind if we interview you? Yeah, no problem. Ben's wife was at home. And she said, I could tell what order you guys did those interviews in because you guys were just drunker and drunker. And one of them was just, you know, incomprehensible. <laughs> so, but yeah, the new place was, was great. Um, and the Paw Sox were, were rolling. So, uh, and then they started having success on the field. You know, this was the heyday of the Boston team and Pawtucket rode right along their coattails. For a while, ESPN used to compare the Paw Sox attendance to the Montreal Expos. Yeah. More, more often than not, the Paw Sox outdrew the Expos. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Louisville, Indianapolis, they all did. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Sacramento, probably. No uh, comment. You know, you know what I find? I find two things interesting about Ben Mondor, other than that he was Canadian. Um, when he bought the Paw Sox, he was already retired, right? Like he was just, you know, he had no kids. Yeah. He just had a ton of money and, and you know. Uh, I think they kind of had to talk him into it. I don't think he was too yeah, keen on the idea. Yeah, definitely. Um, and then the second one is that, you know, for a guy that had little to do really with the Boston Red Sox, he was inducted into the Boston Red Sox Hall of Fame. Yep. A couple of good well, Ben stories. <laughs> well, that was the question I was going to ask is what was the turnover rate from the Paul Sox to the Red Sox? For players or for staff? Play either. Players, I mean, every, virtually every player who played in Boston through the 80s, 90s, and zeros and 10s came through Pawtucket. So if yeah. that's that's why. It, so it, the answer is because that hundreds. was just important. Hundreds, yeah. That's why he's um, in the Red Hawks, Sox Hall that, of Fame. That's just adding to it, game, Dave. I wasn't arguing with you. That 33-inning game, there were four guys who ended up playing in the 86 World Series. There you, wow. Wow. Well, yeah, another, two Hall of Famers were in that game. Yep. <coughs> Excuse me. How dare you? Yep. One, one. All right, a good, a good Ben Mondo story. You know, I, I told you about, before about how Ben's, one of Ben's philosophies, let's keep it affordable, right? So I worked in concessions. So one year we came up with this idea to do this great barbecue plate. Okay, we were going to put on uh, brisket and beans and coleslaw and everything. We were going to sell it. $10. And Mondor came in the first day. We're going to sell it. The director of concessions is here. He's ear to ear smiling. He's proud. This is what we're going to do. We're presenting it like this. It looks fantastic. Tastes great. We all tried it. It was good. It was good. But Tucker was never known for having fantastic concessions, by the way. They were known for having inexpensive concessions. Um, Mondor takes a look at it. And, you know, most of my dealings with Ben were, were, were not safe for work. So. <laughs> Ooh, sexy. <laughs> He looks at it. No, not not, not at me. Um, <laughs> a GD ticket to this place only costs six dollars. Who's gonna pay ten effing dollars for food? <laughs> <laughs> and I, I 
the, the director concessions, you could just see his heart break when that came out. And that item was off the menu. It's a premium <laughs> item. It's really good food, though. No, we never had any of those, you know, the, the food wars that you see in other places. And we talk glowingly about concessions at other ballparks. McCoy, basic, basic. Um, you would never, and I think, I can't remember any item ever costing more than a ticket. I think Ben's philosophy stuck even long after he was gone. But yet when uh, he was inducted into the Red Sox Hall of Fame, this was the kind of guy he was. Ben, ben would take all of his full-time staff, throw parties for them during the season and in the offseason. At the end of every season, I used to love the last game of the season because I was, I was a manager. I was, you know, I was, I was middle management at the Paw Sox. Um, so they would throw a huge party for all the players, all the full-time staff, and all us mid-level people. Open bar, steaks, grilled steaks. They, were, they would cook them for us, this feast. And every final game of the year, I would get so wasted and eat so much food and just be hanging out with the, with the Red Sox and stuff. It was, it was always a highlight. Imagine that, an owner of a sports team giving a damn about anybody that he, that's working for him. And, and, and also, um, the first year I started dating Pam, she used to come to a lot of the games and hang out while I was doing my thing. The last game I said, all right, my, my new girlfriend's here. Can I bring her? And they're like, yeah, no problem. I had to carry Pam home that night. That was... <laughs> <laughs> Oh yeah, but you know we would we would sit after games and they would put a movie up on the the video board in center field. We you'd lay in the outfield with a couple beers in your hand and watch the movie and drink and hang out. It was always good. We got to play baseball on field, football on field. You know, it was a, so, a personal story. Um, I took the job at the Paw Sox because I had just gotten divorced. I had to pay child support. Child support was taking a huge chunk out of my paycheck. So like, all right, it I need a second. Does. I need a second job now. And I happen to know the bar, a couple of the bartenders. So they said, come on over to McCoy. We'll get you in. Uh, my job interview was, uh, Dave, Dave told me you'd do anything. But yeah. So, all right, you're hired. I didn't think I was going to be, be running the grill, but that's what I did. I ran a grill. I had never done something like that before, but it was, it was a blast. It was a lot of work, but it was fun. Um, so, but a so, few months later, I'm sorry, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ramble. Oh, sorry. I thought, you, I thought that was your story. No, a few months later, I ended up getting custody of my kids. So I, I went up, you know, to the management and said, hey, I took this job to pay child support. Now I have the kids. I can't be here and have them at home. They looked at me and said, Mike Tambor said, this is a ballpark. Bring the kids. So my kids, you know, aged seven and ten at the time, seven and nine, had to run a McCoy Stadium. It's just, it any- blows me away to hear stories like that and see where we've come where people are so stuck up about things. And I mean, you, you name a Red Sox player that came up during, during the zeros, they met them. Rachel used to hang out with the families because, you know, the families have their kids. So just wow. she would sit up there with them. Uh, they, they ate ballpark food every night. I mean, that's probably where the diets are both so crappy. Now. Oh, I was going to say, uh, well, <laughs> hot dogs, hamburgers, chicken fingers every night. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's but, pretty much all eating now. But, Dan, to, to to get to what you what you were talking about, think of think about this for a second. So Bud Selig, you know, bought the Brewers, right? right. Uh, they were Seattle Pilots, bought them, moved them. Do you know what Bud Selig did before he was in baseball? Oh no, he was a car salesman. He owned a Ford dealership. 
Now, can you imagine a guy owning a car dealership <laughs> or a bunch of car dealerships owning a major league franchise in anything now? Like, That'd be the, very the, difficult. The prices have just gone. I mean, not just the prices in the ballpark, but the prices for the team, right? Like billions of dollars. When when the teachers when the teachers federation owned the Leafs and the Raptors and the Air Canada Center, one of the things that they were worried about was okay, we need to divest divest ourselves of this investment. Who's gonna buy it? Who's got the money to buy it? And and who ended up buying it? Like the two biggest communication companies who hate each other in Canada, right? Like the the money is has gone up in the ballpark, but like the money value for the franchises has just gone. Has yeah, gone what did crazy. what did the Mets just get sold for? It was out of J Lo and and A Rod Cohen price. Price point, like that's yeah, how well, much that was. Well, you were talking earlier about uh, Ben Mondor being in the Red Sox Hall of Fame. Another two four point the, billion. Two point four billion. Billion. Yes. Billion. Wow. There are countries you could probably buy for cheaper than that. Jimmy Christmas. That that's uh, hard to even say that billion. Yeah. 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 When the Red Sox um, inducted Mondor into the Hall of Fame, they had Ben Mondor Day to celebrate all the players that had called up and everything. And he rented a couple of buses, packed all the full-time staff in there, and we all had great seats, man. And we were the we were the batter's eye. We all they gave us all green t-shirts, and we were the batter's eye out in the bleachers. <laughs> it was an afternoon game, and uh, let me guess, you got really drunk. Drinks were on drinks were on the paw socks, <laughs> and ninety-five degrees and, and free beer was not a good combination for young Paul. <laughs> but, I saw. Um, I got a question like that for all you. Time. Yeah. So uh, you told us why why you took the job in the first place, and you said you worked there about what twelve years? Worked there twelve seasons. Yeah. Okay. So how many years did you work for the paw for the paw socks after you didn't need to really work for them anymore? Jeez, good six or so. Yeah, I mean, there's more. There's a there's I a started- testament to the organization right there right if you're well, if you know doing what that i job, would even say i would even say one that i would say i i started there in 2000 started dating pam in 2005 i was really set before then so maybe maybe eight wow and now, did you work did when, you work um, at uh, gillette just yeah. as long no i worked at gillette for seven years i stopped gillette and kept mccoy even though I made more money at Gillette. That tells you a um, lot. But you know what? Let me tell you another thing about the Paw Sox. There, were, there was a time when I got laid off. When I was a single father, got laid off from my regular job. Paw Sox said, come on in. We'll find stuff for you to do. And I worked all off season for them. Wow. I never had a job, never have had a job that treated me the way the Paw Sox treated me. And it was funny. To this day, when I bump into Mike Tamboro, he still says, when are you coming back? Every time. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> I always tell him, you guys can't afford me now. <laughs> Dude, you're leaving. What are you talking about coming back? <laughs> and you know what? And um, I'll probably talk about this at the end of the show, but I went to the dining on the diamond that they had. 
they had a little thing where, you know, they served dinner on, on the field. The first, there's not many people who are still there. There's, are there I could probably count them on, both, on two hands, the number of people who are still there who were there when I worked there. And the first three people I ran into were people I knew. And even though I had a mask on and a hat on, and you probably could see, you know, just my eyeballs, every single one of them yelled, Paul, hey, how you doing? It was, it was a family. And a lot of companies say they're a family. This, this was. Wow. Did you try to have your wedding at, at McCoy? Oh, Pam, Pam was not having any of it. No, uh, Pam was not a fan of McCoy the way I was. Okay. Um, and uh, McCoy, that's it, divorce. It's over. No, 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 not at all. Because she was right. McCoy did not have, they had a, a tent. Their, their group event center was a tent. What the hell else you need? I'm not getting married under a tent, she said. What the hell else you need? You need a tent. There's a, there was a ballpark just as close to us that had an event center, an indoor event center, uh, the Brockton Rocks. And that costs no. money. You got a tent. Oh, no, it didn't. It didn't. Oh, How long you have you been engaged, Dan? <laughs> Ten years. <laughs> no, oh, no, no, no. Rocks. Were... Eh, no, no. The argument's not going to work here. The <laughs> <laughs> argument's not going to work here. She's the one that wants minimum, and I'm okay with it. Nice. Uh-huh. There you go. We'll do the we'll do the wedding podcast. Yeah, all yeah. All she said was we're renting a suite at a hockey game. I don't care. That's it. We're done. Yep. Yeah, we got uh, the event center was attached to the ballpark where we got married. Um, the mascot was part of the wedding. The manager was part of the wedding. We both wrote first pitches. It was first class day. Um, unfortunately, the the ballpark in Brockton is now falling apart. It's infested with raccoons. It's a mess. But back then, <laughs> but back then, them it, to the trash pandas. Yeah, no kidding. Back then it was it was it was a pretty nice place. So I guess um, you know before this ends up being a five hour podcast, we should probably fast forward to to 2010 when uh, Ben Mondor passed it. away, and then uh, it was really a a weird succession of events that ended up happening because Ben Mondor passed away. Then a group, when his widow Madeline decided to sell the team, she sold it to a group of Rhode Island businessmen probably the 10 richest guys in Rhode Island, you know, the, the head of CVS, the head of all these different Rhode Island companies. Um, and um, Ben Skeffington, ben, I think, I don't know if his name is Ben, I think it was. Um, he was the head guy. He was the president. One day he's out jogging, has a heart attack and he dies. So the guy who was the face of the new ownership group dies like halfway into the next season. And they had, they had stated right from the beginning that their number one priority was finding a new place for the, for the Paw Sox to play in Rhode Island. Because these were all Rhode Island guys. They were local guys. Um, it, you know, they, and they were going very slowly with it. They weren't in a rush. Uh, but McCoy Stadium was falling apart. Needed, needed to be replaced. If you have been to different ballparks like you both have, you know McCoy, while it's great and nostalgic and everything, doesn't measure up to the new places. In a lot of ways. So uh, they, they start looking. When Skeffington passes away, the team transfers. Larry Lucchino leaves the Boston Red Sox, comes over, and takes over the Paw Sox. And so you know what happens. Lucchino has built new stadiums in San Diego and in Baltimore, and he did a lot with Fenway. So he's all about new and shiny and expensive. So you know a bidding war is going to start. Cities from all over New England jumped in. 
but it really and their preferred spot actually was a really nice spot in providence now i don't know you guys probably wouldn't know what i'm talking about but um it was kind of like the spot where the charlotte ballpark is it was right on the edge of the downtown so right beyond the left field fence would have been all the the skyline of providence it would, and it was right on the banks of the Providence River. So you had the river on one side, you had the skyline here, the park would have sat right here. Would have been a beautiful spot. One problem. It was where the, uh, where the highway used to, to go through. Then they rerouted the highway. So it was all open land. But two, two problems. A, um, well, actually a bunch of problems. Um, the, the agreement when they tore down the highway was that nothing could be developed there. It was going to be parkland. Okay, it couldn't be developed mm-hmm. like a green stretch through the city. B, Brown University owned half of it. So half of it was state, half of it was Brown University. And three, there was a giant sewer pipe under the land. So they would have had to reroute all the sewer pipes and everything. Oh, poop. So, yeah. Oh, oh crap. Yeah. Um, dun, so, dun, 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 dun. so that project didn't happen. Once Providence was out, it was all bids come. Um, Pawtucket, they looked at a bunch of things. Uh, yeah, the study said that to refurbish McCoy Stadium to bring it up to code would have cost them another eighty-five million dollars. So you might as well build a new one. Might as well build a new one at Jesus. that point. Woo! So they identified a spot, which I don't know. It was a good spot, but I don't think it was big enough, personally. Um, but Rhode Island politics got in the way. So, um, and Rhode Island was kind of gun shy to give all these millionaires a bunch of money after what happened with 38 studios, which is Kurt Schilling's video game company. <laughs> I don't know if you guys know the story behind Kurt Schilling. That's a whole other podcast. Yeah. They gave the state of Rhode Island gave Kurt Schilling millions and millions of dollars and he just defaulted on the whole loan. So they were not willing to go through something like that again. Thanks Kurt. Yeah, you can, you can, uh, if you're passing around pieces of blame pie as to why the paw socks are gone, Kirsch Hilling absolutely gets a slice. But most, most of the blame, at least in my book, goes to Thomas Mattiello, who was the Speaker of the House. He would not bring any deals forward to the House to be voted on. The state and the team actually worked out a pretty good deal that the paw socks were going to put up most of the risk. I think it was like a $90 million deal. Pawsocks were putting up 65 million in the state, like 35 something. And the numbers, I may have them off a little bit. But then uh, Worcester came in. Worcester said, here you go, 130 million. We'll build you a new ballpark, new stadium, uh, hotels around it, restaurants around it, shopping mall all around it, you know, your own Patriot place. And they took the deal with Worcester. And if I was running the team, I gotta say, I would have done the same thing. It no just seems really cruel to me after all the things you said about ownership and everything and fitting the bill before and all of this stuff that it seems really, uh, and this is just me sitting on my social media throne, really crappy of the city and the speaker of the house and everybody else to be like, well, no. Well, you know, you know, the um, public opinion was no, we don't want this. Okay. So, you know, I would give the taxpayers of Rhode Island a slice of the blame pie as well, because this was really not most of the risk was going to be taken by the team. Rhode the Island's team. barely a state. How dare you? Rhode Island, not you, Paul. Uh, hey, I live in Massachusetts. <laughs> it's just I just you have you have this much. 
whatever. Yeah, so that's that's a, a, a quick Reader's Digest version of how the team ended up in Worcester. Wow. What what is the future of the uh, of McCoy? I've heard everything from soccer to independent baseball, or maybe both. Well, I think COVID has really gummed up the works because they were originally supposed to announce a plan last November. I'm talking 2019. There were six, they opened up for bids. Like, what do you, you know, if you've got an idea, what do you want to do for McCoy Stadium? Submit your bid and we'll consider them all. They got six bids. Two were baseball teams. One was rumored to be the Atlantic League. One was rumored to be the New York Penn League. Now, obviously, there will not be a New York Penn League next year, so that one's going to be out. Two of them were soccer stadiums. They're going to refit McCoy Stadium for soccer. There's a lot of land there, so it could be soccer. And the original, before they redid McCoy Stadium, behind the outfield fence was a soccer field. I don't know if you guys knew that. No. There's still a football field to the side of it now, but there was a soccer field beyond center field. That got taken out as a parking lot now. Um, so, yeah, two were soccer fields. The funny thing is, they would, the state would not give the Paw Sox money to redo McCoy or to build a new stadium. They gave 35, 30 or $35 million to build a soccer stadium down in this uh, old, you know, Superfund site or whatever it is. But isn't, um, that like, isn't that kind of like, you know, the city of Cleveland wouldn't give Art Modell any money to build a, a stadium and then he bails and then... Yeah. Suddenly, there's money to build the stadium. Yep, 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 absolutely. And the other, the other two proposals were uh, like arts, turn it into like an arts district or something. So, uh, I don't know what they were leaning towards, but COVID and minor league baseball's reshuffling has put everything on hold. So there's, yeah. there's been no announcement. So we don't know. You can't answer what's the future of McCoy without first answering what's the future of minor league baseball, what's the future of independent baseball, what's the future of minor league soccer. Like, everything is, is so up in the air. I mean, the only thing we really know is that they'll be playing sports in Texas. They don't care. <laughs> Texas and Florida. Texas and Florida. Yeah, so, yeah, what's going to happen to McCoy? I don't know. But, you know, the, the funny thing is, an ironic thing is, the paw, losing the Paw Sox probably saved the stadium. Really? Because if the Paw Sox stayed in Pawtucket, they were going to build a new stadium. So they wouldn't have no use for McCoy. They would have knocked it down. So now that they don't have a team, they'll probably keep McCoy in some form to use, whether it's for – High school, I mean, you don't have use for a 10,000-seat stadium anymore. So you could downsize it. You could do different things to it. You'll, I don't know, maybe you'll, we'll see something like we've seen in other cities. But there's no comparable ballpark in Providence, so McCoy is it for Rhode Island right now. Does Providence College have a, a baseball team? No, they cut their baseball team a few years back. Brown? Brown does. They play in a 500 place with nice metal bleachers and stuff. Bryant's probably got the nicest ballpark around. That's in Smithfield, which is about 20 minutes away. Hmm. Um, for a lot of Paw Sox fans, honestly, the, uh, the switch to Worcester is not going to be uh, you know, a headache. So if you live north and west of Pawtucket, it's, instead of driving 20 minutes this way, you're going to drive 20 minutes that way. The people it hurt are the people in southern Rhode Island and the people out my way in southeastern Massachusetts. 
because for me, it was about a half an hour drive to get to McCoy, and now Worcester's another 45 minutes past it. So I've gone from having a team 30 to 40 minutes away to now having a team an hour to an hour and a half away. And, uh, you know, the, the Woo Sox are putting up all kinds of signs that are showing uh, the construction is coming along nicely, and it looks like it's going to be a nice ballpark, but, man, the neighborhood it's in. If they don't build up around it, man, it's it's well, in, that's it's 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 that, in a horrible horrible plan. Yeah, and <laughs> it's got probably the the most dangerous intersection in the history of intersections, about a half mile away from it, Davis Square. If you ever want to look up something fun, listeners, uh, go like to Google Maps or whatever and look up Davis Square in Worcester. You have at least eight streets coming in at random angles to this square. There's always accidents there. It, it takes you, never takes you less than 20 minutes to get through it. It's amazing. So, yeah, that's, that's the story of McCoy. That's quite the story. I feel like I just talked for an hour and a half. You did. <laughs> I don't know how that guy did it for eight hours. Well, I think, uh, yeah, I just think a place like McCoy, you know, we have these older ballparks, and when you have to upgrade them to a certain level, and it's not feasible, and then the municipality that you're in doesn't want to do it, then this is what happens. You relocate. Now, you're still going to be within, you know, like you said, some fans are not going to be that much further away, but for a person like yourself, you know, will you go to Woosock games or, or you're like, nope, um, a screw couple, you guys. A couple of, no, I'll go a couple of, couple of years. Nothing. I won't be a regular. That's, yeah. That's doesn't that just, I can't I'll go to anything, but. Going to a weekday game is out of the question for me now. Paul There's no way yeah. I can make it there. So, uh, so what it's you... like a lot of Cape League games for me. A lot of Newport goals. <laughs> yeah. Goals. Does that, yeah. does that uh, team cease being your team then? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, Have you seen the mascot? Have any of you guys seen the mascot for the Woo Sox? Oh, the happy no, face. Let's, let's look it smiley, up and show smiley, everybody. Smiley Ball, Dan, is his name. Yeah, Smiley Ball, that's my balls every day. Here's a happy face. Oh, good for you. <laughs> well, the, the story behind Smiley Ball is the guy who invented the smiley face yeah. was from Worcester. Yeah. Okay. I got. I got to look this. Up. Is he actually? Has they? Have they produced this mascot? Yes, yes they have. They oh, for Christ's sake! Yeah, I see it. And it's and it's worse than you could imagine in person. It's not that bad. It's horrible. It's a smiley face with legs. What do you want? <laughs> Hold on. Let's look at this. Let's look at this together, everybody. We're gonna. We're all gonna take a look at this on the stream. Uh, do this right. The happy face with red socks. Put on a happy face. Hey, that's Dan. Is he the mascot for the Woosocks? See, look. <laughs> See? Oh, it's hideous. It's me. There you go. It's hideous. There you go, everybody. There's Everybody, let's take a look at the mascot that is for the Woosocks. Worc- that's the Worcester Town Hall right behind him. By that's, that's wonderful. That's not bad. Oh, yeah. No, that's awful. Then why? It's like a, you got like to love the, you gotta love the hooker boots that the – that's <laughs> <laughs> no, fine i like it uh, i mean yeah it's not awful on the level of the amarillo socks 
That's the classic one I always bring up. That's but, great that this didn't work. No, I don't know. I think that's pretty pretty horrible. And and that, that's on all their merchandise too, the, the smiley face. Yeah, could, well. It could be worse. We'll see. It could be we'll that banana, that weird looking banana thing. That's that's what I was talking about. No, no, not that's Savannah bananas. Sure, I don't know. <laughs> I just work here. Nobody tells uh, me anything. People yeah, tell me what to do, and I just do it until I get tired of it. So do we have any other questions for me about McCoy Stadium? Uh, yeah. I, I got to <laughs> say that when I went once. Hold um, on. Hold on. Wait, wait, wait. Sorry. I, I missed again. Uh, a great song, by the way. Uh, Matt here says oh. it's Gritty's Testicle. <laughs> <laughs> Ew. Wouldn't Gritty's well, Testicle be orange? I, you never know. It could be off-colored. Yeah, man. If he, if he shaves a little yeah, bit, it could yeah. be yellow instead of orange. Uh, anyway. It sounds, like, sounds like there's a little elephantitis issue going on, though. Cool. It's just I, one ball. I exactly. can say that uh, it's back, back on track now. Uh, when we went to McCoy. Balls anymore, <laughs> no. Um, when we went to McCoy, it was, I mean, definitely not over the top. Like, it, it doesn't compare to, like, Durham Bulls Athletic Park or, or Charlotte or, you know, any of those, any of those ones. Um, but, I mean, we had fun. Uh, you know, Jackson got to call out the 50-50 numbers. That was fun. That was because of your, your host. Yeah, he was a good host. Uh, I think what was maybe unfortunate about, about McCoy is – how amazing it was underneath where nobody gets to go. Like yeah, to see all the stuff yeah. there uh, in the, what was that? Like the tunnel, the player's tunnel. Oh yeah. That's yeah. Right. It was amazing. That was, yeah. The hallway that goes to the luxury boxes, which were on ground level. I mean, if you could catch a luxury box at McCoy, man, that was not many better places to catch a game. But yeah, all of Ben Mondor's treasures from, 50 years of owning a 40 years of owning a team were hidden down underneath. Good stuff. Yeah. Just unfortunate that it was there. Mark, any, any closing thoughts about McCoy? Yeah, I would just say that, uh, you know, you're always sad to see such a, you know, one of the, the famous minor league ballparks come and go, but, that's kind of what we're seeing lately. I mean, we're going to have ballparks in AAA that, you know, don't date, uh, date back to the 90s as being the oldest. I'm trying to think what the oldest is off Buffalo? the top of my Coca-Cola head. Coca-Cola Field in Buffalo. Is Buffalo going to yeah, be Coca-Cola, the oldest? You have Coca-Cola Field. You have Principal Park in Iowa. Uh, those are – oh, Cheney Stadium in Tacoma, I think it's the oldest. But that was heavily renovated. So there was another old-time ballpark. Uh, but, yeah, pretty soon all these ballparks are, are going to have all the bells and whistles that all the new ones have, and you're not going to be able to sit in one of those classic ballparks. I mean, I was in Indiana- I was at Victory Field in Indianapolis uh, playing golf a few weeks ago, and they just renovated their ballpark on top. They added, uh, you know, a suite-level bar and, and some suite, uh, some open air suites up there, so – you know, minor league ballpark is, is always evolving and changing. So a place like Pawtucket, McCoy, you want to see last. But, I mean, just based on the size, you know, can it be 
anything but a triple-A ballpark. You know, that's, I mean, Atlantic League would be great, but unless you have ties with the Red Sox nation. That's what would have to happen. It would, yeah, Yeah. it would have to be like Red Sox alumni all over the field and in the management group and the man, everything would have to be Red Sox themed for it to work. And this is why, and this is why minor league baseball is changing, right? Like, it's become, you know, we talked about the, the arms race of stadiums in the major leagues. Well, clearly it's run through triple A. It, it, it keeps going down, right? Double A, single yeah, Mark A. mentioned like Beloit needing a new stadium or they were gone. Yeah. And, and yeah, all of those guys on the chopping blocks, it, it's about facilities, right? There's a reason why Air, uh, Erie was, was on the chopping block as like the lone double A park that was going to get cut it's i mean it's no it's no uh it's no mystery ah different times yeah like you know if you build a smaller like if that was still a five thousand seater there'd probably be a little more life for it as a new york pen if that was the case but you know it's just you know ten thousand seat stadiums like what do you do with a vacant stadium i mean a ballpark. They would have to do like what they did in, in uh, Richmond when uh, the, the flying squirrels came in and tarp off the top levels or something. Cause yeah. And then they, they want a new ballpark there as well, but they they still attract quite a bit of attendance figures. So why would you want a new ballpark? That's an odd stadium too, but I guess that's a episode for the future. <laughs> Absolutely. All right. So I guess before we end up going two or three hours, like I said, we should probably, call it there all right quick question, always guys. come it's, back to it yeah um in the international league where would you put mccoy stadium in your personal ranking camden new jersey oh where oh, oh okay i thought you meant top, uh, top middle tier bottom way at the bottom way at the top uh it's in the international league it's it's yeah. closer to the bottom for me um i'm not a fan of, of cool ray in in gwinnett um not a fan of syracuse uh but it's it's it would be right around that level um but but to me the international league is is ridiculously competitive you know the the top end is 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 really heavy no doubt how about you yeah i i I'm thinking about places too, you know, it, it's no Lehigh Valley, Durham or, or Columbus or Louisville, but it probably would be towards the bottom, unfortunately, you know, maybe high bottom. Yeah, definitely not. I, I don't like Norfolk. I wasn't a big fan of it. I thought that stadium aged. Uh, not a fan of uh, Syracuse either. Norfolk doesn't uh, cool like Ray. Norfolk. Yeah, Cool Ray I haven't been to, but I, I can tell that's probably not going to be one of my favorites. It's, and it's nice, but has no soul. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You know, but Durham, I mean, what a great ballpark. Um, Louisville is getting some renovations. Uh, that would probably be in the middle, too, based on a few things. Indianapolis is awesome. Buffalo. Yeah, it it, pro- it wouldn't be last, but, you know, out of, what are there, 14 teams in that league? 14, yeah. It. Maybe it's 10, maybe it's 12, 11, something like that. Okay. I'm going to shock you guys, but that's pretty much where I would put McCoy as well. And the ones I would put it over are pretty much the ones you guys have said, uh, Norfolk, Syracuse, Gwinnett. And the one that I may differ from you guys, 
Buffalo. I do not like the Buffalo ballpark. Um, yeah, neither does Toronto. Put McCoy. I would put McCoy down there. And uh, from what I've seen of the Worcester ballpark, my initial reaction is it's going to be like Lehigh Valley. It's, yeah. going, to be, it's going to be a very nice facility, but there's going to be nothing around it, at least initially. <laughs> Literally uh, the valley around it. Nothing else there. Well, no. Le- the, um, the ballpark, there's, there's nothing. You can't walk from the ballpark to anything. Yeah, so I was about to say, there's nothing around it. Like, you, you can right. get to the arena. Oh, no, the PP, yeah, I'm not talking about the PPL Center. No, no, no I know that. I, take this ride with me because everybody has to to get to the stadium. There's the arena and then all the city around it. You can walk for blocks and find a restaurant or a store yep. or something. To get to the stadium, you have to drive right through town to the very edge. There's yep. nothing yep. there. It's a highway. You can't – You could, if you walk, I mean, you can walk, but it's going to – it's not convenient. Amen. And that's, that's just my impression of what I've seen about polar park so take that for what it's where what it's worth uh 2021 maybe one of us or many of us will get to polar park and we can compare them not me i hope we get to some ballpark me too man me too so segueing into our trips uh, this is usually the part of the show where we talk about where we've been over the last couple of last couple of weeks uh mark any visits any trips for you uh, i mean i went to victory field they had a, a golf course for the last maybe month so there was nine different holes and you were able to take shots from the outfield and then go to the upper deck, check out their new lounge and take shots off of there. And it was really nice because you got this beautiful view of the outfield and the skyline and you just, you just take a shot. Um, so that was kind of a, you know, was that a ballpark? Was I watching a baseball game? No. Was I playing a sport? Yes. Uh, bumped into a friend and her new boyfriend, so it was it was a fun outing. The weather wasn't perfect, but it wasn't bad. Uh, free parking, uh, concession stand was open. Uh, the gift shop was open too. Almost purchased a new cap. Uh, so yeah, it was a fun little time. Just a nice reminder that you know you can go to the ballpark, even if it's not to watch a game. So yeah, that was my little adventure. Dave, I know you don't have any adventures to talk about. <laughs> I I also went no. to a ballpark. I went to McCoy Stadium. Oh, <laughs> we, I got path, I actually, after uh, being rained out twice to do Dining on the Diamond, we got to be there for the last seating of uh, Dining on the Diamond. They had tables set out all along the outfield. You got to go in, sit at your table. They had catered dinner brought in to you, so we ate dinner, and they had a montage of old Postox pictures heavy on Ben Mondor and Mike Tamboro and Lou Schweckheimer, as it should have been. Um, pictures of all the guys who have gone through Roger Clemens and all the, the big stars who've gone past through Pawtucket over the years. Um, Field of Dreams music. So, yeah, uh, it was amazing. I was looking forward to it. And like I said, we tried to do it twice. We tried to do it on our anniversary in August. And we had all the kids coming and we got rained out. We tried to do it again a couple weeks ago. We got rained out. So they actually reached out to us and uh, gave us a spot on the last day. So my two sons couldn't make it, but my two daughters could, and my granddaughter was there. So it, it was nice to be able to say goodbye. But uh, that feeling, when I stepped onto that field, when I crossed onto the warning track, I knew it might be tough for me, but man, when I stepped on that field, and it, it hit me that, wow, this is the last time I was ever gonna step on this field. 
and it, it hit me. I started struggling. I was really having a hard time. I lagged way behind everybody. I was just kind of looking around, taking it all in. And I, I think uh, Pam actually saw that I was struggling, grabbed the baby, put the baby in my arm, start taking pictures, and I was better. But it was funny. They had the, uh, they had the team store. That's my new uh, Facebook and Twitter picture. <laughs> took, took my hat, put it on the baby's head. She was kind of looking at me. You can't see her head. All you can see is a big hat. <laughs> but they had the store open if you wanted to grab any uh, last-second souvenirs. Luckily, no Worcester souvenirs there, so that was, that was in good taste. Oh, that's good. They they weren't smacking you in the face with that. Exactly, exactly. I was fully expecting to see wall to wall Worcester Red Sox <laughs> stuff, but they <laughs> that's what they did in Season New Jersey. Ticket it was like sales there and everything. No, nope, when the Nets were moving, they were like, "Oh, come see us in Brooklyn." You know, we were bored in New Jersey, but now we, you know, <laughs> yeah. are Brooklyn strong or something. And I'm like, screw you guys. <laughs> was, not that I'm a Nets fan to begin with, but I would be annoyed. Well, don't worry. They hate the the New Jersey Day so much that they're bringing back that jersey. So, yeah, yeah, and uh, yeah. So when we left, I, I looked over at my daughter who grew up at McCoy Stadium, and, and she was fighting tears as we were leaving. Oh wow! And it was funny. One of the one of the guys because I, I was I was the last one out, and one of the the full time Paw Sox places, just like old days, isn't it, Paul? You're the last one out because <laughs> I used to run the big stands, so I was most nights I was the last part-timer out. So uh, it was nice to be able to say, say goodbye to it. Goodbye. Yeah. It was a really nice night. So that was what I did the last two, over the last two weeks. I do have a trip coming up. We'll talk about it in an upcoming show. So uh, Dan, where can our listeners follow you? Dan Law 83 on all social media platforms. Mark, how about you? Where can you be followed? Uh, Ballpark Hunter, all social media platforms, including YouTube. Check out my latest video. I'm in uh, Binghamton, New York, in Cooperstown, checking out uh, some Speedies, which is a delicious little regional sandwich. Uh, check out the video. Give me a like. Tell me what you think. Yes, do Speedies check out my delicious. YouTube as well. Speedies are not delicious, Mark. They're not delicious? I don't know. I've, had, I've tried them twice. I haven't liked them either time. Have you in been fact, to Lupo's? In fact, once it was speedy, then the wrong direction. Yeah. <laughs> well, see, the problem is everybody makes them, and some of them make them pretty, pretty crappy. But if you go to Lupo's, that's like the real McCoy there. I do like it. The Rumble yeah. Ponies, they shoot speedies out of the T-shirt cannon. No, oh, that's kind of cool. Yeah. No, Lupo's on the char pit. That's how you have to have them. They have that the little crust on there. Oh. All right. Very good. I, I will not close my mind to the speedy. Okay, well. It's not pork roll, but hey. What is? Nothing. Dave, Dave, where can our listeners follow you if they're so inclined? Uh, follow me at Profan9 on Twitter. Hopefully you're enjoying, like, it seems to be the Dave Cotney week on Stadium Journey as it's, like, review after review after review. Uh, make sure you enjoy Pawtucket Day. Pawtucket Day. Because uh, my review of um, – Bottom of the 33rd is coming up the same day as the podcast drops on the site, the same day as Paul's review of dinner at McCoy. So uh, we've got a nice little nice little McCoy day happening there. I think I'm going to throw the McCoy Stadium review on tomorrow as well and uh, my goodbye to McCoy Stadium as well. We'll make it, nice. we'll make it wall-to-wall. We'll do a, it's, we'll it's do a whole wall-to-wall thing. McCoy. Uh, we'll do a thing. And my video. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> Paul's going to have to call in sick just to run the website for a day. <laughs> hey, you can give us some Twist hits. my arm, please. Uh, but, yeah, I just finished, I just finished a, a really good one, uh, The Booster. It was written by Ed Martin's son, Carl. Ed Martin was the booster who was involved with the, uh, with the Fab Five. And, oh, my gosh, did Carl Martin throw Chris Weber under the bus. That was so cool. Um, and uh, Daniel, like this one, uh, I am right now into Doc, the biography of Halliday, uh, which is awesome. The only thing that I was slightly disappointed in is it's written by a Philly guy when I thought it was written yeah. by a Toronto guy, but that's okay. So well, you, uh, you can follow that uh, at Profan9. You know, nobody's perfect. I can always tell when a book is really good because a Philly guy Dave, will start giving, Dave will start giving me messages. Oh, my God. <laughs> see this this guy gets like you like for the one you're reading you just did about the boosters oh my god you should see what he said about about uh weber oh yeah and uh and i got that uh what's it called the the patriots one on the audiobook from darkness to dynasty that dude hates fenway <laughs> written by jerry thornton pretty awesome yeah that's that's an entertaining book jerry thornton is a very funny guy um yeah, it's an entertaining book. It, talks, it doesn't talk about the dynastic days of the Patriots. It talks about when they were just a bumbling laughingstock of incompetence. Man, look out, it's coming back. Hey, we had a 20-year run, man. Yeah. <laughs> That's what I said. I said, it's okay. They'll be fine. Yeah, I, had to, I had to text my son after the last game. And he said, you know how old you were the last time the Patriots were 2-4? and four? He says, no, I can't remember it. So I said, you're right. But, but don't, don't worry, Patriots fans. Tampa Bay signed Antonio Brown. So it's only downhill from here. Yeah. <laughs> I, I do not I do not sense a Tampa a Tampa Bay Super Bowl. Not with him. No. No, they'll they'll self-destruct at some point. They'll implode. It might be a better term. Right, so uh, you can follow my stadium journeys on social media at Puckman RI. And once again, don't forget to check out our website, stadiumjourney.com. Follow us on Twitter. Follow us on Instagram, follow us on YouTube, uh, and follow us everywhere at Stadium Journey. Subscribe to our uh, YouTube channel. I just said that. Within YouTube, reason, follow Journey. us everywhere. Follow me home after work. No, no don't, do don't do that. I'll beat you with a baseball bat. <laughs> uh, my my uh, McCoy Stadium issue baseball bat. <laughs> uh, find the Stadium Journey podcast at VOCNation.com or search VOC Nation Radio Network on whatever podcast app you use. And once again, if you're not already there, if you stuck with us the whole time, thank you. Uh, we simulcast live every other Tuesday night at 8 Eastern at twitch.tv slash stanlaw83. We will return again in two weeks. That is October. 20- no, today's October 27th. Yes. What's two weeks from now? November 12th? Sure. November something. We'll be joined by our old friend Tim Capper. We will be talking about the venues of the great city of Montreal. So brush up on your friends. November 10th. November 10th? Gotcha. I was, never, I was never good at calendars. I'm not good at math, so get no. two. So for Dan Calachico, Mark Viquez, and Dave Cartney, Paul Baker. Until next time, put me in, coach. I'm ready to play. I breathe the mountain air, man. I've traveled, I've had my share, man. I've been everywhere. I've been everywhere. 
Hey, this is the Total Package, Lex Luger, and you're listening to the VOC Nation. Don't miss out. Check out In The Room every Tuesday night at 9. Listen in. Pro Wrestling Illustrated's Brady Hicks, former WCW star Stro Maestro, Kathy Fitz, Matt Grimm. And you know later there, too, right, Ray? We sure are, and we've got great guests like Lex Luger, AJ Styles, Kaku, and more. It's a heck of a party. Plus, I didn't get thrown off uh, buildings. And then uh, pregnant. I didn't get pregnant either. Sometimes I think it gets so ridiculous. We were getting into, like, snuff film territory there. In the room. 9 p.m. Eastern on VOC Nation. Wrestling with History, the voice of choice, and Killer Ken Resnick. When I die, they're going to open me up and find about 2,000 undigested Northwest Airline cheese omelets. Mr. Chris Cruz, what's going on? Jesus, how did I get roped into this? General Adnan went to school with Saddam Hussein. He cried, I cried, he cried, and who could have cried? Adnan lost a lot of family in the... Rocky War. Everybody loves Granny. Wow. Yeah, see, a lot of people don't know that. Yes, Taylor, you guys are busting me up. Catch Wrestling with History with Ken Resnick and I live on VOCNation.com Wednesday nights at 9.30 Eastern Time or listen to the podcast by searching VOC Nation Radio Network on your favorite podcast app. Stadium Journey, the worldwide leader in stadium reviews for the traveling sports fan, is proud to present the Stadium Journey podcast on VOC Nation. Join us as we talk with prominent figures from around the sports world to discuss issues pertaining to sports travel and stadiums around the globe. New episodes air on VOC Nation Wednesdays at 6 p.m. Join Paul Baker, Dave Cartney, Mark Viquez, Dan Calachico, and guests from throughout the sports world on the Stadium Journey podcast on VOC Nation. Each and every Thursday night, check it out, WCW star Stro Maestro takes you on a journey. It's WCW Retro, talking old school match of the week, talking dream matches, taking your calls and looking back on an incredible career of acting, entertaining, and wrestling. Check it out, VOCNation.com, WCW Retro. Be sure to call in Thursday nights, 9 Eastern, on the VOC Nation radio network. Yo, this is Jerry Stags of the Nasty Boys. Yeah, Brian Knobs, here yeah, you get ready to get nasty. Well, listen to the VOC Nation, baby, because it's about to get nasty all around and up in this mother. Get ready. Nasty Sensation is coming at you. The worldwide leader in entertainment. This is the VOC Nation Radio Network.